Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 podcast reviewing the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Carnage was of course expected and in one form or another that's exactly what we got. Max Verstappen for all the world looking like a certainty for the win uh, and then a few laps from the end only to suffer a tyre failure as he goes down the start finish straight. It wasn't the only time that happened in the race as well. Lance Stroll suffered the same fate so we're definitely going to be getting on to that in a little bit but guys Verstappen Hamilton Bottas no points between them fully expected <laughs> nil poire just like England at Eurovision you go in expecting nothing and you come out with nothing it's exactly the same I'm sure they were satisfied and expected with that result yeah I mean when was the last time that they didn't score those three didn't score points I mean at least it's like consistent because it's always those three on the podium and when something bad happens, it's all three of them not on the podium. So to do it as a trio every time, that's yeah, how it works. Yeah. It's nice that the uh, the championship fight is just kind of going, we'll just pause. Yeah. And then next time, play. Good. <laughs> uh, as I said before we started recording, it hasn't paused. Kimi Raikkonen is one point closer to the championship lead. The comeback is on, ladies and gents. Watch, uh, watch and see how it manifests throughout the second half of this season. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, anyway, we will, of course, be discussing Sergio Perez's first race win for Red Bull and his second career win uh, as a whole. Like, like London buses, aren't they? You go 10 years without a win and then two come along in the space of about five months. Absolutely love it. Um, so we'll be discussing that, of course. We'll also be discussing uh, Valtteri Bottas. Not a good race for him whatsoever. Um, so no points at all for the Mercedes in their Constructors' Championship fight. Uh, and Sebastian Vettel, second place, his first podium um, for the team, first podium of the year, of course, so we'll be discussing that. But first of all, the Pirelli tyres. Um, Max Verstappen, of course, suffered a, a tyre blowout as he was going down the start-finish straight, a few laps from the end of the Grand Prix. Uh, if Red Bull had be, to be, expect, uh, to be um, trusted, no reason not to. Um, there was no warning that that was going to happen and it was eerily similar to what happened to Lance Stroll earlier on in the Grand Prix um, as he was going down the start finish straight one of his rear tyres blew out and he hit the wall so what needs to happen here Sam? I mean if I could be on the fly on the wall for Pirelli when they were discussing this I'd love to see what was going on Um, it's very much a, a tale of two sides I feel like I feel like when something happens like this to one driver, which it did happen to Lance Stroll first off, you think your initial reaction might be, oh, hang on a minute, this came out of nowhere. There was no debris. The team are saying there was nothing wrong with the tyre. There was no warning. And at 200 miles an hour, a driver down a straight line goes into a wall. That's worrying. Maybe we should look into what's going on there. Maybe for the safety of our race, decide to pit our driver. Of course, 
One, this is racing. Two, everyone wants to win. And why would you want to give an advantage to someone who's behind you who might not make that decision? Of course, no one decided to do that. And Red Bull went ahead and made that, that decision with Max Verstappen. They didn't bring him in. And Verstappen was the one that paid the price. Fortunately, it's not come at any cost to his championship race. Um, but this is majoritively, in my opinion, this is on Pirelli. I am all for softer tyres. I am all for more pit stops. I am all for more varied strategies. But we cannot have a race situation where a driver is doing upwards of 200 miles an hour with concrete walls either side of them, and there is a risk that that tyre could blow out without warning. I mean, um, it, it almost feels like it's, it's ironic that this has come on, on the passing of Max Mosley. We had that awful you know, loss of, in Formula 1, uh, where two greats of Formula 1 have disappeared, Max Mosley being one of them, of course, who was such a, a, a veteran and such an advocate for Formula 1 safety. Controversial man. But he did a lot for Formula One safety, and we've had a massive Formula One safety question today. What is going on at Pirelli that means that these tyres, without warning, have blown on two different cars, resulting in two 200-mile-an-hour crashes? This could have been life-threatening. You never know what could have gone wrong. We could have had an aeroplane crash coming down that straight. Yes, teams could have pitted, but this is racing. You don't throw away that advantage. This falls onto the safety of the tyre. I want more degradation. I want more pit stops. I want more variation, but I do not want to have this safety factor thrown in. If a tyre's going to go, it needs to be in a more safely deflating, structured way that means that cars can run that tyre back to the pit stop and make a, a strategy call or a, or a change. It can't happen like this again. It could happen in an awful way, and we could see some real incidents happen. We were lucky that both drivers walked away as they did. What are your thoughts, Harry? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's ironic, isn't it? Because we were literally talking about softer tyres um, on, on the preview podcast with Alonso saying they should do a special street circuit tyre. Um, and we said at the time, obviously, we like softer tyres because it creates more strategies. But, yeah, you can't sacrifice that if, you know, it's something about the tyre. They're, they're, they're going, you know, so fast, uh, you know, down that main straight, Baku. And there must be some some stress in that tire that the soft. I mean, there there was the hardest tire that was going. To be honest, we none of the soft tires went, but maybe they didn't take them as far. But um, yeah, something about the softer range of tires because Pirelli, to you know, to to be on Pirelli's side a bit, they they haven't. This doesn't happen often. We had it at Silverstone a few years ago. We had it at Silverstone last year. Um, but often, it, yeah, most of the time, it's all fine. But yeah, as Sam said, it can't. It can't happen again, especially at a track like Baku, because if there are another, you know, luckily for Verstappen and Stroll, they weren't near anyone. But if, you know, what if there was side-by-side action, three-wired, as we have seen there, that would have been an aeroplane crash. And, yeah, we're lucky that they were fine. So, um, so yeah, I'm sure there'll be a massive investigation. Why Should they have not brought those softer tyres? I guess, in hindsight, yes, they should have brought the same tyres they had. Um if the structural integrity wasn't going to hold up. But um, yeah, we, it's not something we want to, we want to see again. Um, and I'm sure Pirelli will, will be doing a thorough investigation into it. Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing from me, and Sam, you've already sort of referenced this, is that this can't happen, very simply put. You, you can't have cars going 200 miles an hour and at any one moment in time, for the tire to just absolutely go because it, it's far too dangerous and a, a full-scale ne- investigation needs to happen regardless of who ends up being to blame if anyone ends up being to blame there needs to be a full-scale investigation as to why this happened on both of those cars um and what they're going to do about it, what Pirelli are going to do about it, what F1 are going to do about it going forward. Um, th- those are the things that we need to find out who who's to blame, what went wrong, um, and, and how do we take that forward. If we look back at, you know, Pirelli have had uh, a bit of an up and down history when it comes to F1, particularly in this um this era um you know they've been they've been the t- the sole tire provider for well, over 10 years now you know, get it about 2011, years. wasn't it yeah 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 so it's been quite a quite a long time and if you think back to and i can't remember if it was their debut season in 2011 or if it was maybe a year or two after that um you remember there was a there was a very big episode about the tires at the beginning of one of those seasons forgive me i can't remember which year it was um but essentially they were having these tire blowouts nearly every single race and there there were a few each time um which was a which was a real problem and they ended up fixing that of course 
as you as you mentioned, Harry, this is this is an isolated incident, really. If you have to go back to Silverstone for the last time that this happened, which makes me curious and, and doesn't make me immediately want to blame put everything at Pirelli's feet and say that the tires are to blame. It seems it seems suspect that this is the only Grand Prix where this has happened. So in this full scale investigation, not only do I think that Pirelli should be looked at and what they've done, but also the Azerbaijan circuit itself and whether there's something there um, at play. And they they just need to find out essentially what went wrong because this is a this is something that's unacceptable and can't happen. Um, I don't honestly think it is going to be to do with the softness of the tires. I, I because what's perhaps most odd about this is it's not as if the tires started on a certain level of performance. They, you know, lap times went slower and slower and slower through the stints. They were getting high levels of wear and then boom, that, that didn't happen. The hard tires in terms of pace were, were fairly good all the way throughout the stint. Even when, you know, Max Verstappen, his tire went, when Lance Stroll tires, you know, there wasn't a drop off in pace. They were still going very quickly which again makes it all the more confusing because you would expect, you know, if the tyres were ready to go at any moment, they'd be lapping significantly slower than what the other cars around them were. Stroll wasn't having any issues from the likes of Gasly behind him when he went, and Max Verstappen was pumping in fastest laps not too long before his tyre went. So um, it it seems strange. So I don't seem... So based on that, I'm not certain this is to do with the tyre softness. I'm not sure this is to do with tyre wear. It's got to be something else. And... You know, I don't want to. I, I don't want to guess too much as to what it would be. I would rather the investigation go ahead, uh, and, and that will confirm and deny things as to as to what went wrong here. But it, it seems very odd from the outset what what's happened. And you know, I we've seen quite a lot of teams. Uh, sorry, not a lot of teams. A lot of people suggest that the, the the teams are to blame here. We, you know, maybe they should have pit. Sam, you've already mentioned this. Do you think that there there is a responsibility on the teams here as well as the likes of Pirelli and Formula One as a whole? Well, the first thing I want to start off with, we're talking about this, because I think it is a valid question to ask, whether it's the right answer or not. I think it is a valid question. There is some onus on teams to take responsibility for the safety of their drivers and the car. Um, we should remember that that hard tyre for this race has been the soft tyre for many other races, and we've not seen this happen anywhere else, especially at tracks with higher load. Uh, This was the soft tyre technically for Catalonia, for example, and it went longer at Catalonia with higher load corners, and we did not see this happen. So there was something that went on here at Baku that was isolated that we haven't seen at other tracks. Now, we asked this question on Twitter. If you're not following us on Twitter, at Elbreaking, get down there. We always ask these kind of questions, especially around race weekends, and we asked, Folks, what are your opinions on the tyres and the Pirelli situation? We're discussing it on the Race Review Podcast, which you're listening to right now. Thank you. And we'd love to get your opinions. And we got a really interesting mix of answers. Uh, some great usernames, by the way, in this. So if you hear yourself called out, thank you for your great usernames. One being <laughs> Thick Seagull. Uh, Evan, thank you. Uh, you simply replied with uh, Farcical. You think the whole situation is Farcical, which is really interesting. And we've got especially, a lot of people Especially with that, with that name. Like, you can't call anything Farcical with that name, can you? I mean, that tells you just how farcical it must be for a thick seagull to think it is farcical. <laughs> exactly. Um, Fabian, uh, at Cook underscore 21, uh, you replied here with Pirelli did nothing wrong with the tyres. It's the same story as Silverstone last year. If the teams want to push the tyres too far to the point they explode, then that's on them putting their own drivers at risk, not Pirelli, which is really interesting. But then we've got people like John Doe. We never know who he is, of course, the mystery John Doe. Uh, Pirelli are not to blame for how the teams use their, and abuse their tyres. If you want to blame Pirelli, give them the decision on when to pit each driver. Don't let teams decide. But then you've got the other side. Max Richmond, for example, has said here, two crashes over 190 miles an hour due to tyre failures. Hard to say it's anything but a disaster for Pirelli, especially when you take into account that tyre age versus expected tyre life has been completely ruled out. Pirelli at the start of the race did say that these tyres can go 40 laps around. And coincidentally, Stroll and uh, Verstappen, around the 30 lap mark, both lost their tyre. So yes, I do feel like once one has happened, you do need to take into account that maybe you should look after your driver. But I said it at the start, this is racing. We are competitive. You do not want to give advantage to a, a competitor, especially if you're Verstappen or you're Hamilton. What if that throws away 15 points? Of course, in the end, it doesn't matter, as we know in hindsight. What if that throws away 15 points and we get to the end of the the season and that 15-point gap that you gave away because of this one decision is what wins or loses you a title? You can't do that. You can't make that choice. You need to know that what you're driving on is safe. And I just think that in an ideal world, the teams would be able to make that call, but they can't. 
They want to be as successful as possible. It is on Pirelli to guarantee safety, even in the event of a failure, that we will not have a reaction like this. We've seen failures happen before where the time war spirals out of control. It rips bodywork apart. Rubber does like to flail around a little bit. But as with Hamilton at Silverstone, he was able to get the car around the track across the line without any damage to his health, uh, overall to the risk of other people. He got the car safely across the line. Yes, the tyre was a bit messy, but he did it. Whereas here, Verstappen and Stroll could have resulted in possibly life-threatening incidents to both themselves, spectators, marshals, and other drivers. So I think Pirelli definitely need to investigate here. It's definitely not a kind of one-box ticks all. Something went wrong here that hasn't happened previously, and it needs to be looked into. What are your thoughts, Harry, in terms of the teams and what part they play in this? I think the team, and Sam, I was going to pick up on that point about the expected high life. The teams will always push that number, um, but they didn't even get to the number that, that Pirelli advised. So, that's a that's a worry for Pirelli to start with. So I, I don't think you can particularly blame the teams for taking it too far. And I had this conversation with my dad, actually, and he was saying that they were being stupid, i.e. the teams, um, because they were taking it too far. But I don't think that's correct because they weren't taking, well, they hadn't taken it at that point further than Pirelli recommended. So, um, yeah, that's a worry for, for Pirelli there. And I think, you know, in future, is the onus on Pirelli to make it like a, not just a recommendation or like an expectation, make it, you cannot do more than these amount of laps on these tyres. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't think that you can, for this event, I don't think, well, personally, I don't think you can blame the teams because they hadn't actually gone further than Pirelli told them to. So um, yeah, on this occasion, we've seen it before where you can blame the teams where they've gone too far and a tyre has failed. And, you know, Pirelli will go, well, we told you, don't go that far. So um, but this wasn't the case. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure too much blame can be placed on either Aston Martin's or Red Bull's doorstep there. I'm 100% with you, Harry. Um, you know, I I appreciate that the teams definitely have a level of responsibility when it comes to their drivers and their cars. Um, and there should always be a monitoring of where they're at. And, you know, that, that should, of course, happen very generally. But looking at this situation specifically, you're right. They weren't even at the amount where Pirelli said they were. And Pirelli are the tyre providers. Pirelli are the tyre experts. And as a result of that, the team should trust everything that Pirelli say. And if anything happens within the window that Pirelli says is fine, then, you know, blame or, you know, questioning at least comes at the doorstep of Pirelli, not the teams. And I think as soon as you go outside of that window... You know, if Pirelli set a 40 lap limit on these tyres and the second they go over that 40 lap limit and they go to 41 or 45 laps and something happens, you you haven't gone with the experts. You've gone against them. You've tried to push it. And that's your decision and that, that's yours to take. But also accept the consequences if it happens. But that isn't what happened here. They were well within what Pirelli said. Yeah, Pirelli, see, I can't remember exactly the numbers, but it was looking at about you know, 15 laps or so on the soft tyres with about 36 or so on the hards. Of course, there's a few laps difference. You know, you, you can't you can't expect them to be deadly accurate to that, to that degree. But, you know, that they were using the strategy that Pirelli said, this is probably what you should use. So with that in mind, I, ca- I can't put any blame at either of the teams here. They, they were doing exactly what the tyre expert says. You wouldn't doubt, you know, your, your doctor in a situation <laughs> concerning health, they are the experts when it comes to health. Therefore, you trust every word that they say in the same way that you should trust the tyre providers and the tyre experts here. So, yeah, I don't put any blame on the teams for this one at all. Um, and really, either Pirelli need to... Well, I think Pirelli need to look at their tyres regardless, but maybe they also need to look at the, the estimates that they're giving in terms of how far those tyres can last because... You know, realistically, if they give a 40, let's say they give a 40 lap life expectancy on a tyre, there should also be a bit of buffer in there as well, in that they shouldn't be fairly confident that if they go to 41 laps, it will go kaboom. Like they they, they should have some sort of leniency as well. Um, so 
I, I, I don't know. Maybe they, they have, maybe they got their estimates completely wrong. You know, maybe because they sent different tires this time out compared to 2019, it has been two years since we've been to this circuit. Maybe that's, maybe that's related to this. Maybe that's why um, their estimates were out. But um, because it's a matter of such importance, you know, the, these estimates, these teams rely on these estimates to go as, as long into stints as they do. And when it goes wrong, we've seen what happens today. Big crashes. Fortunately, neither of them were injured, but, you know, if that happens on another day, maybe we don't get the same situation. So it's important they get this right. It's important they take a look at this, really. I mean, let's look at our driver of the day um, before we get into the likes of uh, the Perez win and the Vettel podium. We'll, we'll get on, onto all that in a little bit. But driver of the day, who have you got, Sam? I mean, how can it not be Sebastian Vettel? The man is back. For all those people that said that he was overrated, up your tailpipes, folks. He's back. (laughs) Four-time world champion. He's here. What a drive in that Aston Martin. The car that was not pegged to be even close to a front runner. He does a Ferrari. He does Gasly. Hamilton's decided to drive to the next race because he's had enough already. <laughs> and in comes Sebastian Vettel with a lovely number two. Second place, that is, folks. Get your minds out the gutter. Sick of it. I mean, the he guy does a fantastic well. job. He might have done that as well. He might have been, oh my God, what's going on? Um, I might have papped myself also. Anyway, <laughs> Sebby Vett, you love to see it. The guy did such a consistent drive. That massive overcut on the hard tyre worked fantastically well uh we even joked on our little we have a little of course we was talked through the race uh as, as we have to do because we can't stop getting up of each other but we say oh it's good to see semi vet trialing the old lance stroll strategy of just never coming into pit and it actually worked it was well delivered the tires held out for him and they pulled off for the right time and then of course we had all the incidents which then played into the favor even more so but it's all about maximizing what's coming your way as semi vet showed expertise he showed good time management and he was ruthless to the right level and there was no spinning tops semi vet delivered when he needed to do. I'm so happy to see it. It feels like he's got that fight back. And it's great to see Aston Martin up there. Their first podium is Aston Martin, you know, since they've had the game change. Brilliant stuff. Love it. Sebi Vett, driver of the day. Driver of the day for you, Harry. I, too, I'm going to go for, for Sebi Vett. Um, pers- a couple of shout-outs for Sergio Perez, because his, I mean, yesterday wasn't amazing for him, but his pace today was insane and I was watching Christian Horner on Sky just before we started recording and he was saying he went a bit long in his pit box and he said that's why he had a slightly slower stop and he thought that they were, if he hadn't done that he would have jumped um, Verstappen out of the out of the pits which would have been an upset obviously it didn't matter in the end but um, yeah but I thought Perez was great um, who was the other one I was going to shout out can't remember oh, this wasn't for driver of the day but Alonso on the restart second restart was just Ooh. Where, he just where did appeared. I, he, just he just appeared in sixth place. Yeah, I've watched this. Someone posted it on Twitter, the onboard, and it's just, yeah, Alonso doing Alonso things. But um, yeah, for me, I'm going for Vettel because a bit of luck involved. Uh, but he, yeah, his, his again, as Sam said, that that first stint where he was doing a Lance Stroll strat, um, his pace was mighty. And when Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez came out of the pit behind him on the fresh tyres, didn't really catch him that quickly. He was even though they had the fresh hard tires and he was on old soft. So um yeah, I thought he had some some mighty pace and some yeah, clinical moves when he needed to. So um yes, yeah, so, Sebi Vet to me for me. It was good to see him back on there. It's a hat trick for Sebi Vet. I'm <laughs> gonna give it to him as well. Pa 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 pa. Um I mean, yeah, he was he was great. And I I'm not going to say that Sebastian the old Sebastian Vettel is back because this is a guy who won four consecutive world championships. He's going to need to deliver a few more results before I confess that he's back fully. But these are encouraging signs, these last two races, definitely. He is he is at least getting there. Um, and you know, I think he just... I'm not sure if the plan... You know, he, he qualified 11th, so he started on the fresh soft tyres rather than the used soft tyres of those in the top 10. So I'm not quite sure what his strategy was from the, from the outset. But he was able to essentially use the information that he was getting on track, or at least the team were able to use the information to make him go much longer. Because we actually saw that the undercut, much like Monaco, was not effective. And actually, it was the overcut that was working better. We saw Alonso come in very early. He was um, he was overcut when he came. He was overcut by someone. I can't remember who off the top of my head. Um, we saw that Perez, obviously, without that, even with that slow stop, managed to do the overcut on Lewis Hamilton. 
Uh, and there might have been one or two others. I think Gasly, Gasly got the overcut on Leclerc. So there was the overcut happening really well for all of these guys. And I think Aston Martin kind of just sat there like, these guys are pitting really early. I don't really <laughs> don't don't really know why, to be honest. It's not really working for them. Should we just keep going for a bit? Yeah, all right then, let's keep going. And it worked very well. You know, Sebastian Vettel came out. And to be fair, I think Lance Stroll, it would have worked out very well for him as well, considering he started on the back row. Um, so yeah, Vettel delivered a great performance. There, there seemed like a time where he might be able to threaten. Um, obviously, it doesn't matter in the end, but threaten Lewis Hamilton. Um, but yeah, he he showed good pace on that second stint as well. This is this is much much better. He's starting to get used to the car now. He threatened him so much that, that Hamilton didn't go out and turn some magic off, and he just disappeared off the track. Somebody that is a scary person to have behind you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he just thought that Vettel was going to pull alongside him again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not not gang, sir, please. No. All right. Worst driver of the day. Who have you got, Sam? Uh, Valkyrie Bottas. Dang it, Dusky. Move on. I'm not, seriously, that was... I know, he had, I know his, his car spec wasn't great. It wasn't the same as Lewis. But what is the difference between those two cars? What has happened between Monaco, where he was up there for a podium, and Baku, and they've changed... From what I've heard, obviously I'm not a Mercedes engineer, something to do with the rear wing. And all of a sudden, the guy is struggling to beat the Williams cars and there are only three drivers behind him in the entire race. He can't get past anyone. It... He beat he beat, mean... he beat his teammate. Oh, don't give me that. He beat, he beat his teammate. He was great. I don't want to hear that rubbish. He, this might be... And I've said that Valtteri Bottas won't win again this season. I stand by that. But I do think this could be the downfall of Bottas. This has been a horrible, horrid weekend for Valtteri Bottas. Every race that goes by that he doesn't win, your prediction comes closer and closer to being true. It's It's awful. It's very worrying, isn't it? It is very worrying. We've still got a lot of races to go. We'll be fine. (laughs) But I'm starting to feel less fine. (laughs) (laughs) And we will get on to Valtteri Bottas a bit more in in a bit. Um, But Harry, who's your worst driver of the day? Um, Yeah, it's, it's... There were no bodies, like not even not even a sign of any bodies today. Um, yeah, I think look, some of it is definitely down to the two. They went two different ways on the setup, and I think Bottas had the higher downforce setting. But I mean, that doesn't explain the complete massive gap that um, in pace he had to Hamilton. And in fairness, Mercedes have been struggling all weekend. But even if Hamilton was struggling, Bottas was struggling even more. It didn't matter what session we were in. So. Um, yeah, just a horrendous weekend for him, and yeah, everyone just seemed to go past him, especially the the safety car restart. Um, yeah, not, not even close. I also realised that Mazepin finished in front of Hamilton. That may be the first and only time that happens. But there you go. I think that could become a regular thing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Um, as, as it was a hat-trick for Sebastian Vettel, it is also a hat-trick for Valtteri Bottas, I'm afraid, although not in uh, the same positive way. Uh, I won't I won't labour the point for too much because we are going to talk about him in a little bit. Um, but I I will just say this. I think that was Valtteri Bottas's worst race in a Mercedes in terms of pace. Not in terms of the... Well, in terms of the result as well, really. But it, just in terms of pure pace, he, he was nowhere. At least on races where he's not there with Lewis Hamilton... He's usually there in qualifying, and I know he didn't get the second run, but no one did. Um, he he wasn't even there in qualifying. Um, so, yeah, this was a bad, bad race for Bottas. Moment of the race for you, Sam? Um, there were many, to be fair. None before maybe lap 12 to 15, because it was, it, was it was a slow burner, and then it really turned into a bit of a firecracker. But I'm going to actually hark back to the restart for Mr. Fernando Alonso. And I feel like, you know, old Nando, if you were to take your your loved one or a friend to Nando's. I reckon they need to, on the spice scale, Levin and Herb, of course, at the start, they need to just simply make one called Fernando's um, at the end there. Because if you want to have an absolutely spicy meal, chuck on a bit of Alonso and you know it's going to get hot. You know it's going to be spicy. And that man just delivers pure spice. It was good to see him back. And also, uh, Alonso and Vettel having a little cuddle at the end. I love seeing that. That was awesome. Oh, it's 2013 again. Um, I enjoyed it. So for me, that was brilliant. It was really enjoyable. Do you think that was just Alonso's experience kicking into the point where he was going backwards all race and he was just there the entire time? You know what? 
It doesn't matter. This is Baku. Something crazy is going to happen at the end. It doesn't matter. I'll be there and I'll just overtake people on a restart <laughs> with three laps to go. Easy. Yeah. yeah. Alonso has this ability to just be like, go on then, let's have you. And I imagine that if he was in like a pub fight, he'd be like, here we go then, last whim, last song of the night, come on. And I just feel like he would just come out on top just because he's a bit crazy, crazy, crazy Fernando. I love him. It was great. I'd, I'd like to have Alonso's. Alonso would have you back in a fight, wouldn't he? Like, oh, yeah. Lad. He would yeah, never absolutely. let you down. He would never let you down. Three of us, of course, notorious scrappers. Um, <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, moment of the race. What have we got, Harry? Um, what have I got? I'm going to go for... It's going to be Verstappen's tie blowout. Because... Um, from there on in, I think that you know the championship standings swung back and forth quite a few times. Um, you know, Verstappen's out. Hamilton's going to take at least eighteen, maybe twenty-five. Then it looked like twenty-five for about a second, and then it was taking none. And then Red Bull thought the Perez was going to take twenty-five, and then he almost didn't take twenty-five. So I think from that point on, the carnage was was crazy. But um, yeah, it was that'll be the shot on the front pages tomorrow probably. So. Um, yeah, that's it. That's the one for me. Honestly, I think the um, this will decide the championship and it goes in one way or the other. I, I think people should just give up with that. <laughs> it's a long season. It's going to go, as we like to say, back and forth several times. Nice. Just just let it happen. One thing isn't going to decide the championship. This is this is this is going to keep going. Um, also, not not to make light of a, a quite a scary safety situation with the tire blowout, but I have wanted to say "yoohoo, big tire blowout" from Frozen <laughs> about twenty times since it's happened. Every time you guys say "tire blowout," I've just wanted to go "yoohoo, big tire blowout." Uh, I've said it now, so there, good. I can breathe. It's finally out. It's a weight off your shoulders. It yeah. really is. Well, I'm glad we could do that for you, Sam. Cheers. My moment of the... I'm going to cheat for my moment of the race. I apologise. I know this is a very important category we give out, but I am going to cheat here because I'm not going to pick a moment from the race per se. I'm going to pick a moment from qualifying because I still don't think Yuki Tsunoda has started (laughs) breaking for turn three yet. (laughs) Honestly, I mean, we are late breaking, but we're not no breaking. (laughs) Come on, Yuki. I... I, I just it. thought I, I thought that was fun. He's <laughs> just I didn't think he was gonna stop. Wasn't like, even close to stopping, was he? No. I hate to break ship. it to you, you you can't go round the corner at two hundred. I'd love to tell you break it to him. You can't break it to him. He has to understand the word break. Oh <laughs> and I, then he, it's I so just... much sorry, so much so that Signs saw it and just completely papped himself and like fell off the road. <laughs> like oh, what has just happened? <laughs> Where have you gone, Yuki? It's like well, yeah, that's the uh, that's the two hundred break. Oh, okay, you've actually reached the corner now. You should. Do you just want to think about it? Do, do you want to? I I thought that was brilliant, and I can say that because he recovered with a fantastic race. And well, actually, he recovered with a fantastic race to the point where he finished inside the top seven, which means that both Alpha Tauris were inside the top seven. Oh, which means no. oh, what what does that mean? I think that stop it's... being bold and start being right. It's boring watching Ben be <laughs> hey, right with his uh, well, predictions. If we weren't going to try and get this out as fast as possible after the race, I would say, Harry, roll back the tape when <laughs> Sam said that that was a bold call on, on Wednesday. All right. You you called it. It's the least bold of the three. I'm, that's what I'm going for next time. I was right. You were wrong. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. All right, let's let's move on uh, to Sergio Perez, of course, taking his second career win, his first win in the Red Bull. First time someone who isn't called Max Verstappen has taken a win for Red Bull since the Monaco Grand Prix of 2018. So give or take three years. It's been a been a long time. Uh, he was helped, obviously, by Max Verstappen, um, his tyre going out towards the end of the Grand Prix. He overcut Lewis Hamilton earlier in the race, so recovered from just a P6 on the grid to take the win. Um, Sam, do you think that this was a bit of a transformational weekend for him? Do you think this is the first weekend of the of the old Sergio Perez almost? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to start with a little disclaimer. I don't think this was perfect from Sergio Perez. There were still mistakes in there that I feel like he got away with. 
for example, going long in the pit box meant that he couldn't jump Max Verstappen for an actual chance at the race win until the incident happened. He was not great off the restart from the standing starting or jump by Vettel and did get jumped by Hamilton until uh, Hamilton realised that he left the magic on, which I might make a t-shirt of, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but... Sergio Perez, I think, drove... It's why I didn't give Perez drive of the day. And that's why I gave Vettel drive of the day. Perez, for me, drove like a 95% race. And I do think, of course, he thoroughly deserved to take home the victory. And I'm glad he did. It was fantastic to see him take his second uh, career victory. But yes, overall, this is what I expected from Sergio Perez. High-class pace, pushing his teammate to the very end, making tyres last. The guy knows how to drive a race car and he can do it very, very quickly. Um, this is what I wanted. And when I said that Perez was going to beat Bottas in the championship, I said it was going to be close. Ha! Joke's on me once again. Perez absolutely flying at the moment. Now, I, I think this is going to be a progression. I think we're going to see this start to come in race after race after race. Red Bull have the wingman that they need. Red Bull gives you wings. Well, they've got one. They've got a wingman in Sergio Perez. And I do think they can mount a full challenge. And look, they now lead the Constructors' Championship by an absolute furlong. They need Mercedes to really come home with a big one-two in France next time out. And I don't think it's going to happen. I think Red Bull are in their stride. Perez has got things going now. And Max, this is unfortunate for Max. This was not Max's fault. Max is really up and going. So I think those two are a fully potent team. And I think Perez can really start to bring home the results. I would not be shocked if Perez gets two or three, four more wins this season. What do you think, Harry? Do you think this was a bit of a turnaround performance? I mean, it's by a mile his most his best and his most consistent this year isn't it we saw we've seen glimpses of it but not across the whole weekend i mean again as i said it wasn't perfect quality wasn't great um that first one running did in q3 was wasn't great at all but um yeah i think i don't know whether we can call it transformational because i think it depends what happens in the next race or so um if that carries on then yeah, that's it's good news for Red, good news for Checo, good news for Red Bull. And um, we saw today how how much better it was for Red Bull to have Checo in the mix because it was Hamilton versus two Red Bulls, so they could play with the strategy like Mercedes do to Verstappen or have done to Verstappen on so many occasions. So, um, yeah, it was a it was. It was yeah, as I said it earlier, his pace was insane in the race. I think that first in particularly, and then you know he Czech has been around a long time, but he did have Lewis Hamilton on his gearbox for most of the race, and that's quite intimidating. Especially every time he pulled a gap in the middle sector, Hamilton was like, "Nope, I'm coming back in the in the straight line speed." So um, yeah, it was it was definitely the Checo we've we're used to. So I'm hoping that this is, as you say, a transform transformational weekend. Um, remains to be seen, but it was definitely very, like Seb, it was very encouraging to to see that kind of performance from him. Yeah, um, this this was a great performance from Sergio Perez. Without a doubt, the best that he's had in a Red Bull so far. You're right, Sam. Definitely not flawless. You know, he was he was due to lose out to his teammate. We can't take that away from Max Verstappen. So, but he was there, and ultimately, that's what Red Bull need. When something like that happens to Verstappen, they need to know that Sergio Perez is in a very good position to either win the race instead of Max or at least be in second or third, which he was. Um, so fair play to him. Um, he, he drove he drove a really good race and he got the first lap that he needed. Um, you know, he was frustrated after qualifying and I think rightly so because um, he, he did have that pace. He's, he's had a few iffy qualifying so far this season, but it's almost been as if yeah, that's about where his pace is. So it's not overly gutting on the day. Whereas yesterday, I feel as if he probably felt he did have a chance at the front row of the grid. And he was able to recover to the point where that became somewhat obsolete as the race went on. And we saw the way that the strategy played out. You know, Hamilton had that um, pit stop issue, of course, that ended up taking about two seconds longer than he would have liked. And because they had the two cars in position to do something about it, it did give them a bit of flexibility. You know, the, the option that they went for worked perfectly, even with the slow pit stop for Perez. It worked perfectly. Verstappen pitted the lap after, and then Perez the lap after that. That's the strategy they went with. But the beauty of the situation is because they had two cars, they didn't even need to do it that way if they wanted to. They could have, if they didn't feel they had that margin, they could have pit Verstappen the next lap as they did. They could have asked Perez to do exactly what Vettel did if they felt that that was worth it. 
they could have, you know, they they could have double stacked them if they felt that was worth it. It just opens up the strategy playbook way more when you've got the two drivers in there. The way they did it ended up perfectly, but the options are there at least to do something if they else if they wanted to. And you know, Christian Horner, you know, he said that he might have got past Max Verstappen if it wasn't for the pit stop issue. I was looking at the timing screens quite intently. Lab, I think it would have been close. I personally think Verstappen would have had about six tenths, seven tenths of a second on on Perez. So who knows? Perez might have had an opportunity when they eventually got round to sector three and back down the, the start finish straight. If he was still close enough at that point, I don't think he would have quite beaten him out the pits. But he was at least in the conversation. And ultimately, this is what Red Bull have been searching for this this entire time. I would say at this point, and um, uh, you know, I think this is something that we all agree on, really. But there's been a lot of comparisons first five races of the season compared to Albon's first five races at Red Bull and Gasly's first five races at Red Bull. Stop it, them! Stop it! Because <laughs> Perez is not in the same position that those two drivers were in. Gasly was in probably the third best car at the time. Albon was definitely in the second best car at the time, but it wasn't a championship winning car. This, you know, even if you think Mercedes has a minor edge or if you think Red Bull has a minor edge, this is a car that is capable of winning a championship. Neither Gasly or Albon had that at their disposal. So if you're just comparing points, don't bother. There's no point. But having said that, if we just look at pace versus Verstappen, which is a way more accurate indicator as to how well he's doing, that was, in terms of pace, the closest the Red Bull teammate has been to Verstappen since Daniel Ricciardo. I don't think Gasly or Albert have ever been that close in pace to Verstappen. So really encouraging from him. Uh, and we'll have to see whether he takes it forward or not. And from one extreme to the other, of course, Valtteri Bottas was off the pace pretty much all day. Struggled to make an overtake on, on Lando Norris. Wasn't really threatening outside of that. And then on old tyres, slipped back a few more positions at the end of the Grand Prix. Sam, going forward now, having seen Bottas's performance today, having seen Perez's performance today, who would you trust more as a secondary driver from here on out? Oh, 100% Perez. Um, I mean, I, I lost faith in Bottas quite a while ago. I do feel like Bottas has been secure in the motion that Mercedes were that much better as a team than the rest of the grid, that realistically, you putting an acceptable performance in that Mercedes, you should be on the podium, really. And I think that most drivers on a good day in any previous Mercedes could put that car on the podium. You know, let's just say you put Ocon in there, you get a podium. You put Gasly in there, you get a podium. You put Bottas in there, you'll get a podium. But now we're in a year where that Mercedes is not capable of just walking away with the championship. We're not able to just run off the road and just be Hamilton Bottas, Bottas Hamilton, Hamilton Bottas. Bottas has flares of brilliance, just like any driver. They're the best drivers in the world. They're going to have moments of brilliance. Bottas is not consistent enough. The Bottas is not able, the Bottas, I call him, folks, he's not able <laughs> to deliver alongside Lewis Hamilton. He's got extracts the absolute last mounts of pace out of that car and now that Mercedes is being threatened by uh, Red Bull definitely but also Ferrari are on pacing certain tracks uh, McLaren are definitely there as well and you know from Aston Martin Alpine and the likes could definitely start to challenge it's possible Bottas isn't able to find that extra few tenths that Lewis Hamilton can that put him out whereas Perez on the other hand Perez is, is getting better week on week. Perez is improving week on week. And I always like to run with form. Form is good. It's encouraging. It keeps you motivated. And from what I've seen from Perez in previous teams as well, the guy knows how to pull a performance out of a car that necessarily might not be the best it can be. How many podiums has Perez had in a team that shouldn't ever be on a podium? Perez is the guy that's done that. And I think he could do more so here at Red Bull. I've got faith that over this season, and hopefully the next couple of seasons, if they stick with him, he could become a regular race winner and Red Bull could go on to win championships because Perez is there to back up or even beat Max Verstappen. You never know how the form might swing. So for me, Perez is definitely the guy I would choose over Bottas. Bottas, he's got to be careful. Got to start delivering big time. Otherwise, questions are really going to start being asked. But more than just me, who I think is quite clearly the first person to jump on the uh, Bottas isn't there anymore bandwagon. What are your thoughts, Harry? I know this Perez versus Bottas second driver battle isn't necessarily official, but that's definitely the way in which this season is heading. So if you were Red Bull and Mercedes, who who do you have more trust in right now? Um, look, we we know how solid Perez is, and he's, it's taking, taken him a few races to get to the form we're used to from him, and today shows that he's, he's getting there. 
Um, but and I know Bottas had a terrible race today, but most for the most part, Bottas is a very good. And no offense, Bottas, but um, it's a very good number two driver. He's always, for the most part, he's normally in the way for like Red Bull strategy or help helpful to Mercedes strategy to you know to help Hamilton when he's when he's fighting against Verstappen. So um, I, I don't know who I would trust more. I think based on today you'd obviously go Perez but it's, you can't just base it on one race Bottas has done a solid job as as a number two for for many years he's not we know he's not as quick as Hamilton but for Mercedes they don't necessarily need that and we've said we said this before so um yeah interesting one I don't know who I'd pick I mean on current form you might go for Perez just the way the the momentum's swinging but um yeah but Bottas is he's had a tough time Monaco he was good so he just didn't get the result he needed so um I'll go for I'll go for I'll keep the faith in Bottas for a bit longer, and that's nothing against Sergio, um, but just because I think Bottas has proven that he he's a worthy number two, um, and Sergio still still getting to grips with that car despite the win today. More botties for Harry. Is the <laughs> overall conclusion. Sad, sad at the lack of botties, you know. Yeah, I. It's it's a tough one because the, the most concerning thing for Bottas right now, he sat I think sixth in the championship after today's no score. Perez has elevated himself, of course, up to third. So there's a few you know a few positions between them now, and theoretically, you know Bottas has been in that Mercedes seat for a long time. This is Perez's sixth race for Red Bull, so Perez should get better as the season goes on, where there isn't necessarily a reason to believe that Bottas will. So. You know, Bottas needs to improve on what he's already done to this point so far. Bottas has had unlucky events this year. Um, I wouldn't put Azerbaijan in that mix whatsoever. I know people have said that it was incredibly unlucky what happened to him in qualifying. Don't buy that. You need to go and put a lap in on both of your runs because that sort of thing can and does happen. Um, But at least in Monaco, yes, he was very unlucky there. So, um, that that will even itself out. Let's not pretend that Perez has been completely lucky to this point. You remember Bahrain where he broke down on the formation lap and had to recover somewhat in that Grand Prix. Who do I trust more? It's tough. They have, they're almost completely different drivers because Valtteri Bottas's clear strength is qualifying. And I, I would almost suggest he is Yano Trilli-esque, choo-choo. <laughs> um, because you know, his strength is qualifying and occasionally when the qualifying isn't there or he drops down the order for whatever reason, he doesn't have the overtaking prowess to make it back up. That's not his strength. Bottas is on his day a very quick driver. Over one lap, he's very, very good. And he has been a, he has been a good number two driver for Mercedes for all these years. But when something goes wrong, when challenges arise, when he's down in the bottom half of the top 10 and he needs to make overtakes to get himself back up, Hamilton has the ability to do that. Verstappen has the ability to do that. Bottas doesn't have the ability to do that. So if we are going to see Mercedes not hold that dominance that we have done in previous years, those sorts of situations are going to crop up more and more, which doesn't suit Bottas at all. And I think Perez is completely the different driver in that qualifying is not his strength. But you know, in terms of tyre preservation, in terms of race pace, he he's usually on it. Um, so... Who do I have more trust in? I I, I want to see more from Perez. So I'm going to say Bottas at this point, but um, I, I'm not going to be a prisoner at the moment. I, Bottas's race in Azerbaijan was abysmal. I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all, but it almost he should almost feel all right about it to the degree that it should be a complete anomaly. And, you know, he might be back on it in the next race. I, I think he just literally has to get the chalk out because, you know, we're still in 2002 and draw a massive line under it, move on to the next one, pretend this didn't happen. That's how bad this was. Um, I, I want to come in quickly with a stat, Ben. I'm going to steal your job. Oh, no. Stagman! Stagman! Beta version. Um, early <laughs> access. Um... <laughs> Bottas, if you want to talk about him being a good number two driver, um, he has only come runner-up in the championship twice in the four completed seasons that he's had with Mercedes. Um, And I think on other two occasions, he finished outside the top three. On one occasion, when finishing second, he was only nine points clear of Max Verstappen as well. So it wasn't exactly far off. I think this run of 
Bottas getting away with it. Bottas having to maximise a, a car that is far more dominant than it than the rest of the grid. I think Bottas has been flattered by the performance of that Mercedes after looking at the form. And this is becoming a regular question that people are asking now after races. It's not once a season this gets asked. It is every four or five races, someone goes, this has been bad again for Bottas. He hasn't delivered again now. Um, for me, there hasn't been three seasons previously where I'm like, yeah, he's not as good as Lewis, but he's done everything he can. I think actually Lewis is dragging Bottas up a little bit in terms of the points that they've had. If you look at history, and actually, I think Bottas hasn't delivered probably when he, he should have done in the past. So uh, that's why I would go Perez. I don't think this is a one-off, one-hit wonder. I don't think this is such a bad race of Bottas that it's made me sway my choice. Bottas has not been on it as much as he should have been for the last three, four years, I don't think. I, I absolutely agree that the margin of error is much, much less for Bottas than it has been in previous years. When I say he's been a good number two driver, what I mean is they've won every driver's championship and they've won every constructor's championship year after year. I would agree with you that, you know, yeah, it's going to be more difficult for them to achieve that this year considering the level of competition. But certainly in certainly in 2017 and 18, the competition was there. 19 and 20, probably less so. Um, Ironic that so, those are the years that he didn't finish in second place. Yeah, ironic. Yeah. So... We'll, we'll see how that goes. We'll, we'll see. Oh, come on, Bottas. You have to win a race. I can't, I can't, I can't let his prediction right. be right. Come on. If I, win, if I get that right, I don't care about a single driver prediction or a single constructor's prediction. That's oh. the one I'm taking home. We've got, we got the Russian GP yet. It'll be fine. Oh, that's oh, true. Yes. Damn it. Ah, Cancel, write it you off. You forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Austria coming up as oh, well. Austria's in two races, isn't it? He, like, he likes a good Austria. He likes oh, a good Austria. That's on a sad day. He always orgies himself a nice Austria. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, we'll move on to Sebastian Vettel. Um, looked like he was going to finish P4. Then Verstappen was like, nope, I'm out of here. So he was in P3. And then Hamilton was like, see you at the next race. So he ended up P2. Um, did pretty well to get to that point. Started outside the top 10, of course, all the way to the podium. His first podium for Aston Martin um, and Aston Martin's first podium in Formula One. So, Sam, what's your reaction to this? I bloody loved it. Honestly, Sebastian Vettel, for me, in terms of personality, in terms of people I want good things to happen to, Sebastian Vettel is my number one. I've got a real soft spot for Sebi Vett. And the fact that he did it in Aston Martin, who I've also got a big soft spot for as a childhood fan of the, the manufacturer, um, it was amazing. It was genuinely amazing. He drove a brilliant race. Uh, I, I kind of made a bold prediction, yes, which turned out to be wrong in the preview. But I did say that someone, usually in those kind of, end of points, does tend to do very well. It wasn't George Russell, no, but it was Sebastian Vettel. He, he picked up that podium, and it was fantastic that we can have races that throw these results up in our faces. It's brilliant to see it mixed up like it was. I loved it. I really hope this kicks on good form for him. He's not going to come back and get second places every single race, folks. Let's not get our hopes that high. But I'd like to continue to see him pushing that Aston Martin, challenging the Alpine guys around him, nipping at the heels of the Alpha Towers, who've got a fantastic race car, and um, you never know, kicking off Daniel Ricciardo if he's struggling. It's Carlos Sainz if he's having a bad day. That's what I want Vettel to be doing. I want him to always be the guy that picks up those best of the rest from the, the upper midfield spots that he can get. You know, if he can continually start getting six, seventh, eighths on race by race, that's great. He's done really well, in my opinion. We doubt those mistakes we saw on the throw, which he's really starting to do. Continue this up with momentum. This is the start, I hope, of seeing Vettel deliver what we know he can deliver. What, what, what's your reaction to, to this one, Harry? You must be, must be delighted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it was... I think even if Seba hadn't got a podium, this was another great race. It was, it was like Monaco in that sense. And... It's helped because I think Aston Martin's strategy is, as a whole this year has been fairly good. They've not got it right all the time. But um, last weekend and this weekend, they just don't like stopping, basically. What, what's the point of stopping? Who needs a pit stop? Overrated. Um, but yeah, I think he was on for a, another great result even before the carnage and ensued and he got a podium. Um, and it was, yeah, really encouraging. And apart from, you know, this the clumsy accident he had with Ocon in the first race... Like Sam says, he's ironed out some of those mistakes he had been making. 
just seems increasingly more confident with with the car. I think I agree with what you said, Ben. Can't suddenly call in the Sebastian Vettel of old quite yet, but it's definitely this is easily the uh, his most consistent run of form since 2018, maybe 2019. Um, yeah, he had a good race in Turkey last year, and that was about it. So, um, yeah, it was it was really encouraging to see. And I think Sam, you made this point on our Twitter. It was just nice to see his bit of fire back in his belly, which I think was lacking even at the beginning of this year. Um, yeah, after Monaco and after Quali yesterday, he was so annoyed that he missed out on Q3. Ironically, might have helped him get where he got today. But anyway, he was so annoyed about it, and I get obviously happy again today. He just seems a bit. Bit more pumped up and is enjoying that uh, that environment. Yeah, and I guess with the absence of much of a preseason, not much getting time, getting used to the car. Now that he has had that under his belt, essentially through the first few races of the season, that's what's inspiring his confidence. I, I've always seen Vettel as very much a momentum driver. Um, you know, I don't necessarily see hamilton or, or even really like the likes of leclerc in that same fashion like i always feel with like hamilton after he's had a bad race he can pull out a good race um in the next time around and he'll recover um that's not to say vettel can't do that but i think Vettel is more of a case of we saw it at the end of 2013 when he just won race after race after race when he's got the confidence he is he is very very good and he is really difficult to stop and I think you know with Monaco being a good performance here at Baku being a good performance he might continue to take that on and I just think that yeah because of that I think I think Vettel's performances are a bit more suspect to momentum so he can get on those good runs of form you know the reverse of that as well is that when he does get in a slump it does last a bit longer than for other drivers I think but he was exceptional out there today uh and he was I, I gave him driver of the day obviously very rarely is a driver of the day a complete no-brainer for me. It was a no-brainer on this occasion. I didn't really have to think long and hard about this one at all. Um, and you're absolutely right with what you said, Harry. It's not even that he finished on the podium and in P2, because if he finished P4, I think I still would have given it to Vettel because it was the pace. Uh, it was performing that overcut, managing to... Um, I'm not sure if he overcut one or two drivers, but he managed to get ahead of the likes of, uh, you know, the likes of Sonoda in the pits. And then he had really good pace. You know, he was on the back of Gasly and Leclerc for the second stint before, before obviously making that move on Leclerc, and which, by the way, was a really good move on Leclerc as well. He went so narrow into that corner um, and managed to get him on the exit. I thought that was a really underrated move, actually. Um, yeah, and he was able to to see it out from there. He made the clinical moves when he needed to make them, and that that's the Sebastian Vettel that won the championships. So, I am. Um, a, an on-form, pumped-up Sebastian Vettel is great for Formula 1. It is great for Formula 1. So excited to see what he can do over the next few races. I also want to give a special award to Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc for squeaky bum-time moments of the race, where, oh. of course, Leclerc did what felt like a quadruple four-year-long lock-up and missed Sebi Vett's car by what feels like an absolute beard hair. Um, but that literally made me gasp uh, as that happened. I thought, oh no, this this could be curtains for everyone here. But no, it was it was incredibly close. Thank God they all got out cleanly. Um, so good to see Sebi Vettel back, folks. If you don't know what squeaky bum time means, it's literally like where you your entire body tenses up and you go, oh, uh, and something bad could very much happen, but it doesn't. So it's good. That was fantastic. <laughs> Get that sound effect clipped. <laughs> by, by the way, get that description on an urban dictionary or something. Um, I I have I have no idea how he stopped that car in time. No, nope. I I still don't know how he got that car stopped in time. It's how it's done, was, Yuki. Yeah, exactly. He he managed to leave the country and still make the corner. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. Um, Incredible. That's pretty exceptional. Um, I think that's where we'll leave it for this for this podcast episode. It's been a fun one. It's been a fun race. Sam, if you wouldn't mind getting us out of here. 
Folks, we hope you enjoyed the uh, Azerbaijan back in Grand Prix. We had a thoroughly good time watching it. If you want to join in on our discussions that we have around the race weekend, do head over to Twitter and follow us at Elbreaking. Of course, videos will be up on YouTube as well about all the usual discussions. And we can be back later on in the week with our usual Wednesday chit-chat. No race unless I'm completely wrong on my calendar. So it'll just be normal Formula One conversation. But join us, please, because we have some topics and you can get involved. Love to see you there. Uh, in the meantime, I've been Samuel Sage. I've been Ben Hawking. And I've been Harry Eads. And remember, keep breaking late. Bye! Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.